Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Renewables. I'm your host, David Smart, and today I have with me Alexander Olson, the co-founder and CEO of Babylon Microfarms. Alexander, thank you so much for for taking the time to come on the show and um, really appreciate it. I'm excited to uh, learn more and to educate our viewers and listeners about your micro farms. It's a name that can be taken literally. Uh, so thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, David. We're excited to be here. Yeah. So we always start with just a little opening uh, kind of background Tell us about yourself and how you came to a little bit about your journey and your background and how you ultimately came to found uh, co-found Babylon Microfarms. Yeah, so uh, I'm from the UK originally, uh, came over here to study at the University of Virginia. And one of the projects we were working on was um, around open source software. And it was a, uh, the, the project was, could we develop small scale farming systems that could be built on, um, through designs that are posted online for, so that people in refugee camps could feed themselves. And this was in the social entrepreneurship department at UVA. And you know, I was a th- third year at college, uh, was a sophomore and um trying to figure out you know what what next in in life and and this project really just kind of grabbed captured my attention because we were using hydroponics which is really kind of innovative and sustainable way of growing food we were looking at new ways of applying it and i took the learnings from those projects and it really kind of made me realize that micro farming this is small scale hydroponic farming is possible and why aren't people doing that because the status quo to this day is bigger is better huge scale greenhouses and plant factories and so we started a company to develop small scale systems that could be remotely managed uh, and really kind of opening up this new segment of uh, indoor farming. Very cool. And I'm curious because we talk about farming a lot. At Biostar, we have an organic fertilizer product that we manufacture. Um, was was there always a passion for farming or uh, how did that kind of, I mean, I, you told me how it came about, but have you always had an itch and a passion for farming or was it more on kind of like solving, uh, solving a problem? Yeah, I think so. So I grew up on a farming background, uh, in the UK. I have to say I was not very keen to get back to farming, but I had a passion (laughs) for technology startups. And, you know, I think from, um, when you look at the effects of climate change, food insecurity, and and all of the issues we have, this was one issue that seemed to address a lot of those kind of broader societal issues, but also combine that, uh, you know, agricultural, uh, background and, and the passion for tech startups. Absolutely. Okay. Fantastic. So tell us, what is a Babylon micro farm? How does it work? Um, give us kind of the the elevator pitch on on what you make. Yeah, so at Babylon, we build distributed vertical farms. What that means, we have small scale modular uh, vertical farming systems that we run remotely through some technology that we've developed. So uh, we've effectively miniaturized some of the semi-automation you'd see in commercial greenhouses and designed it so we can control it remotely. And that means that running our farms is really, really easy. It takes about 30 minutes per week to run one of these modules and then grow about 50 different crop varieties ranging from leafy greens through to kind of salads, coloring herbs and micros. So um, we basically place these modules at the point of consumption so that businesses and communities can grow their own fresh food. Wow. And 50 different varieties. Uh, That seems like a lot. 
So how how big are they? Do they kind of range? You you mentioned modular. How big is a typical system? Yeah, so these these are modular units. They're about 15 square feet, so five foot wide, three foot deep, and about six and a half feet wow. tall. A uh, little bit like a double door refrigerator. Uh, and yeah, so they're they're big for a household, but they're very small compared to the industry where they can be you know hundreds of thousands of square feet. Sure, and and you mentioned just 30 minutes a week of sort of maintenance to to grow these crops. So talk a little bit more about that. What does that look like? Do you have to water them? Is that all automated? Uh, tell us more about what it takes to run the system. Yeah, so to, to run a hydroponic farm, you have to control all of the variables, right? It's control and environment agriculture. So you're uh, controlling the nutrients, the pH, and the irrigation, uh, basically the solution the plants run in. And then you're also controlling the environments. So that's the light, temperature, humidity, et cetera. So we actually can control all of those remotely. Uh, and so the user doesn't even know they're going on. So they get um, pre-seeded pods in the mail, a little bit like a Keurig, uh, minus the single-use plastic. They scan them into the farm. We ad- administer a growth recipe to those crops and then remind them when they're ready to harvest. So we're really designing it for a no green thumb required growing experience. Really interesting. And do you use any fertilizer or additives uh, for the crop varieties? Yeah, so we provide nutrient cartridges that sit in the bottom of the base. So they condition the the solution depending on what top crop type is in there. Awesome. And talk a little bit about um, you've kind of defined the space. How much energy do they use? Are the, are they pretty efficient systems? Yeah, so I think broadly for for indoor farming, right, it, it, one of the catches is it uses in, uh, a lot of electricity. So some of the more successful large scale operations require that to be offset with renewables. For us, these are small scale modules, so we're, we're benchmarking ourselves more against um, uh, household appliances. So in Virginia, I think it's ninety four cents a day, uh, so it's not a huge amount of energy and, and pretty much in line with other appliances. Okay, very interesting. So is that the target market? Is it a residential market or is it more a commercial market? Talk a little bit about who your customers are, some of your success stories and uh, where where you think the biggest opportunity for your systems uh, lies. Yeah, so we're exclusively B2B at this point in time. We work with a lot of the major food service management companies, so Aramark, Sodexo, Compass, and a number of regional players. And we're really helping them um, to source fresh ingredients on site, but also as an experience that engages and inspires their communities, right? Because what we're seeing is that farm to table, local sourcing, that's no longer an option. It's the standard and it's an expectation no matter where you are. And actually, it's very hard to convey those efforts to their community. So by having some on-site farms, yes, we're contributing to their overall produce and sourcing it like right in front of the diner, but we're actually captivating their attention and really kind of highlighting some of those initiatives. Yeah, it's food service management. And, you know, a lot of our growth is in higher education um, and senior living, healthcare. We also work with some retail clients like IKEA. We work with LinkedIn on the corporate dining. So we're really expanding the footprint and showing that uh, businesses and communities can grow food, even though they didn't think that was previously possible. Very interesting. And you mentioned healthcare and uh, I've had a couple of children in the last couple of years and um, I've found that my wife has not been very interested in eating any of the food from the hospital. So are, are hospitals a, a market for you all that you're working on? 
Yeah, ab absolutely. So we can tailor the experience to suit the needs of each location. So some of our hospital clients are growing salad greens right there on site. They can harvest in front of the consumer and make a salad for them right there. So uh, really kind of offering a much higher quality level uh, than, than what there was yeah. there previously. That's amazing. So that's super interesting. You're, you're working with restaurants to, to healthcare, um, to other kind of B2B applications. Well, and you mentioned distributed, which we always talk about distributed energy and this you know, sort of transition from away from this massive grid infrastructure to, um, you know, more distributed energy system in our country. And, and that's the same thing you're talking about with food. Um, talk a little bit more about what, what that means and why it's important. I guess for me, one of the just kind of real life examples I always think about is uh, my wife loves to buy organic produce and it always kind of, in a way, kind of bums me out that we're buying organic produce and it's from South America or Central America and nothing against Central or South America. But I think to myself all the time, twofold, one, why couldn't this have been grown in the United States? And obviously there's some obvious reasons like climate and things like that and seasonality. Um, but then two, I always think about, you know, life expectancy of food and man, if this came from South America um, and it's still okay to eat today, you know, when was it harvested and how long did it take to get here? And then when there's mold on the $7 package of, of blueberries that I bought, you know, two days ago, I'm always kind of bummed out about that. So with sort of that in mind, talk about the, the importance of local distributed food and I guess sort of the path you see this taking into the future. Do you, do you think this is going to make, you know, a bigger splash and that we will be effectively transitioning into something more local? Yeah, so a lot to unpack there. I think for indoor farming as a tool, and it's a very resilient and effective tool for certain crop varieties and certain geographies. So uh, in the US, you know, look at uh, salad green, 95% uh, of salad greens are produced in a handful of states in the Southwest, uh, and most of them are shipped across the country to, you know, the East Coast. And that is crazy, right? So there's, you know, two, 3,000 mile supply chain. Then there are a number of vine crops who have a similar, even longer supply chain from South America. And so for those varieties, you're looking at spoilage upward of 50%. Uh, so it's hugely inefficient. It is a bad product for the consumer. I'm sure everyone listening has had a soggy bag of spinach from the supermarket, right? That's sort of a well-known yep. story. Uh, and so for those, in those circumstances, growing indoors can have a much longer shelf life, you know, two weeks plus in some cases. Um, it is a much higher quality product as a result because it's just fresher, hasn't been degrading, um, and you're creating kind of local jobs. So there are a lot of advantages to those indoor farms. And then you have to look at the crop types and the categories available. So indoor farming is very well suited and hydroponics very well suited to um, categories where, you know, sort of leafy greens, uh, vine crops, so tomatoes, cucumbers, flowering crops like uh, cannabis. Um, and so there are, they could, in certain examples, it can really play to its strengths and can be much more productive. Uh, but, you know, we're not going to see indoor farms growing wheat and corn, soy anytime soon. So it is really sure. a tool that can be applied to certain applications. And f with regards to what we're doing, we can offer a wide range because our modules are designed to be a tool for the end uh, user, right? So we can help these food service companies develop their own on-site farming program, whether that's to grow leafy greens or to focus on some higher value 
heirloom crops like microgreens that they might not be able to source due to seasonality or, or the local supply chain. Very interesting. And I guess you you kind of touched on it there, but why do you think, I mean, we've been talking about vertical farms for a long time. Um, I think probably cost is one of the things you're going to tell me uh, that is prohibitive, but why do you not think that this concept of indoor and vertical farming has not made a bigger splash at a bigger scale um, yet? So, um, yeah, the CapEx requirements for the commercial scale operations are definitely uh, very prevalent. Um, you know, the setup costs are, are high. And then right now there's, you know, an energy energy crisis. So that has driven up some of the operating costs. So um, there are a lot of things that have to line up. But I, I'd say the, the tailwinds are still uh, much greater than some of these short term speed bumps. Right. We have drastic improvements in LED lighting. So it's mo- the biggest energy cost. We're seeing more and more creative financing. We're seeing real estate developers and other groups getting involved in the financing of these farms, treating it as a new real asset class. Um, that doesn't apply so much to our model, but it generally is, is a great kind of sign that the industry, it, you know, there's more and more data available and we're attracting uh, more innovation around how to how to build these things at scale. But, you know, as with all nascent uh, industries, it's going through a bit of a correction right now. There were some venture funded models that I think haven't been what they cracked out to be because there are some limitations with building these physical things. Uh, but ultimately, the tailwinds are really strong and the need for local fresh produce that is resilient to the climate outside is definitely not going away. Yeah, absolutely. Talk a little bit about <clears throat> the water um, consumption and maybe some of the benefits of your systems just from an efficiency standpoint, uh, you know, to sort of echo, we've touched on a little bit, but like you're seeing right now in the US, you know, and out in California in particular, where there's been, you know, pretty much a multiple year drought and you're seeing thousands of of acres um, that are just kind of lying there dormant because they really don't have the water supply to grow the crops that they once grew. Now, there's been some really big rains as of recent, and hopefully we've filled up some reservoirs and we'll have more acres under crops hopefully next growing season. But talk a little bit about that, the water consumption. I think there's a lot of folks, some of whom have been on this show, have predicted big droughts coming in the future. And of course, the cost of water has gone up. So talk a little bit about you know water in your system and efficiency and, and the importance of that. Well, I think it's one of the more profound risks that we are mitigating, right? When you think of climate change uh, in, in its whole sense, the, the risk of reduced or excessive rainfall both can be catastrophic to food production um they're they're growing and you know i think as we look into the future the chances of those happening at an increasing rate and the effects that will have on food security are significant and um you know as scary as that is indoor farming is one of the available solutions and ways to mitigate that so i don't think our micro farms are the solution are the solution in that sense but i do think we're part of it right and and basically developing different tools that can help business and communities take action in our case or some of these larger scale farms that can be built in community hubs provide jobs and and, and a kind of climate resilient uh, piece of this food supply chain uh, is is very powerful, and that that's ultimately what this industry is working towards is a climate resilient hedge that provides better quality product for the end consumer. So, when was your company founded? Yeah, so we were founded in April 2017. Okay, so you've been around five, almost six years now. 
Talk about kind of your, you know, the next five, six years. How do you plan to scale this thing? Where, where do you see the biggest opportunities uh, and what are you most excited about? Yeah, it's, um, you know, we've been very fortunate to see tremendous growth in this industry and with it, a lot of interest at the business and community level. And that's driving some of our major partnerships. You know, we're rolling out farms to, you know, we're in 37 states currently. Uh, we'd like to be in all 50 uh, this, you know, in the coming years. And basically, like for us, it's really about grabbing market share and establishing ourselves as, as, as really kind of one of the leading players for distributed farming. And we believe that focusing on the food service market is the way to do that. And we've really kind of laid our foundation there. Um, you know, and I'm very grateful. We're a team of you know uh, 35 or so people here in Richmond, a super talented team who are making this happen every day. And I think it, um, you know, that's been one of the great joys of building this company is, is surrounding myself with really, really smart and talented people. Excellent. What are, what are some of the reasons that folks, what's the pushback you get? So when you're calling on food service companies or restaurants, whatever it may be, what's the pushback? What's the, the challenge to sort of get that customer over the hump? Yeah. Yeah, I think it starts with consumer education, right? With all new things, a lot of people are like, what the hell is this thing? I didn't even know growing my own food was an option. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the idea of having a chef's garden or like a farm to table restaurant is still something that people romanticize as like a Michelin star restaurant they see on TV and not something they could sure. do. So I think there's a gap there that we're trying to bridge. Um, but from once we do get people to the point that they realize they can do this and an accessible price point, um, your pricing and, and investing in any new technology is always a barrier. The next part is really around operations. You know, we're in a very tight labor market, adding something in, even if it is very easy, adding anything new to the, the workflow uh, can create some challenges. And those are, those are the sure. main reasons why people push back. And uh, you know, I think with all this stuff, is, as the need grows, as consumer sentiment shifts, like that's all ultimately working in our favor. Excellent. Well, this has been really fun to get to know a little bit about your company, and I really look forward to following along and, and watching your business continue to grow. Um, maybe you'll come back on the show and uh, and you know catch up with us in a year or two uh, and see how things are going. And I will look forward to the first time that I organically, to use a pun, uh, run into a Babylon Mac micro farm. Um, I think this is so cool and, and it's really an important piece of, um, you mentioned climate change, but also just making sure that people have access to healthy food. Um, and that's a, another topic that we've talked a little bit about on the podcast. So if you're listening in and you're interested, um, and checking out some of our other episodes, we've had some really awesome episodes that touch on food insecurity, food justice, of course, climate justice, et cetera, et cetera. So go check those out. Um, and Alexander, pleasure to meet you. And like I said, really appreciate you taking the time to come and tell us about your business. Thank you, David. This has been another episode of Renewables. Thank you so much to our listeners uh, and viewers who tune in week after week. Make sure and hit that follow button wherever you listen to your podcast if you haven't already and stay in touch. We have a lot of great episodes coming this season. Alexander, thanks again, and we will wrap it up. Hello, and thank you for listening to Renewables, a podcast by Biostar, which aims to explore the current and future energy landscape in America. 